if you could spend a moment with some remarkable people and discover what the life sounds like, what would you ask? Welcome to Are We On Air, an audio encounter. I'm Armand Nafei, and each episode will feature one conversation with an inspiring friend of mine who will share with us the soundtrack to their life. Greetings from Ibiza and welcome back to another episode of Are We On Air? This week's episode will be our last for season two, as we will take a little summer break to get ready for season three. And do not worry, we have some little interludes coming your way as part of Are We On Air? On Tour. I thought why not end this season with some poetry. And here we are with this week's guest, who is my wonderful friend, the author and poet, Orion Carlotto. I first discovered Orion's work through a little film that she shot about two lovers breaking up in a room at the Chateau Maman. But she will tell you all about it. We talked about Orion's live soundtrack, of course, and what it was like growing up in a Latin household and the music surrounding it. But we also talked about Los Angeles and how she handles her heartbreaks. A little hint, like a pro, by writing about it. Lots of great songs coming your way and it's certainly a vibe. And I'd like to wrap up this season with a little poem slash quote by the Persian mystic and poet that is Hafez. Many say that life entered the human body by the help of music. But the truth is that life itself is music. On that note, I'd like to thank all of you for tuning in, listening, sharing, giving us wonderful messages and feedback. And I do hope that I was able to inspire some of you, or if not, just introduce you to some new music and ideas. Well, if you'd like to find more about Are We On Air on tour, you have to follow us on Instagram and on areweonair.com. And as always, don't forget to share the love. And I'll speak to you soon. So welcome to Are We On Air. Pleasure to have you on the show. Gosh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. I feel honored. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know if you had a chance to check it out. It's basically, it's my little interview series where I paint a picture of my guests, but through a couple of songs mm -hmm. and who they are and what they do. And I obviously want to have a poet on the show. I mean, we had already some, some very close encounters with Lou Doyon and Jane Birkin and people who are very immersed in, the, in poetry. But yeah, I mean, I like this new generation of poets and uh, that uh, that's coming through and you're one of them. So very excited for this conversation. Yeah, <laughs> as am I. Um, First of all, of course, I know the podcast. I am, I do listen. I think it's <laughs> wonderful. So, you know, being a part of it is, 
is an honor, like I've said before. And yeah, it's so interesting now, this world of poetry that we've kind of, or reintroduced into the world, I guess. And it has been interesting to be a part of that and, and kind of navigate that on your own because it's so different now than it was, you know, centuries before. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a real, it's a real fun thing to be a part of. I guess poetry has always been there and, and I think in the past two, three decades mm -hmm. it transformed, you know, into into the hip hop genre, into a rap genre. Right. Um, but I think there's this new resurrection now, especially I mean, we'll talk about her in a minute, but with uh, Amanda um, on such a public display, I think that mm -hmm. is like you know, like someone who just literally kicked open the gate for this whole new wave of 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 a young new generation of poets coming through are you are you plugged in in the scene is what's can you give us some intel <laughs> oh, gosh I've, i keep so quiet to myself so i wouldn't really say i'm plugged into the scene but i do like to admire from yeah. a distance and i think that yeah. it's it's this wonderful thing that yeah with amanda she just i could not imagine the nerve like that has to be so nerve-wracking i mean poetry is already incredibly delicate as it is and it is something very intimate and very personal so to just boldly go up at an inauguration and just give it your all like that is insanity and truly you know i i couldn't imagine anyone else to you know fit that sort of role and and break open the doors for others to kind of keep their eye out on, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, to have the nerve at that age to, to do that is incredible. No, exactly. But yeah, but let's, let's go back to you and, and, and your life story. Um, well, what's your earliest significant musical memory that shaped you as an artist? So I grew up in a small southern town in Georgia with two immigrant parents. So my childhood lacked this sort of cultural appreciation when it came to icons and iconic figures and music. So most of that I had to discover upon my own research. Um, I remember when I was a teenager, I was reading a book called Bluettes by Maggie Nelson, And she wrote about the Chelsea Hotel in such a way to be enamored by, you know, its mystique. And of course, after reading the book, I took it upon myself to look it up. And uh, to my, you know, I've stumbled upon Chelsea Hotel Number Two by Leonard Cohen. And it's no surprise that, you know, that particular song charged me in such a poetic way, considering the artist himself is a poet and an extraordinary one at that. And I feel like that was one real defining moment in my life where, you know, it's easy to see poetry and music regardless, but that was a, definitely a defining moment where it was, it was evident more than ever. It was in that song. And um, it also just, that's a song that feels very intimate. It doesn't feel like... It just feels like you're in a room with him and he's singing it to you and or maybe that you shouldn't even be listening to it at all because it is very intimate and um you know that's what poetry is it, it's intimate in that sense and you almost feel um like you're invasive when you're reading poetry or when you're listening to it and you know yeah chelsea hotel was one of those 
one of those songs for me. I remember you well in the Chelsea Hotel. You were talking so brave and so sweet. Giving me head on the unmade bed while the limousines wait in the street. Those were the reasons that was New York. We were running for the money and the flesh. And that was called love for the workers in song. Probably still is for those of them. Yeah, but you got away, didn't you, babe? You just turned your back on the crowd. You got away, I never once heard you say, I need you. I don't need you. I need you. I don't need you. And all of them jiving around. Um, you mentioned uh, immigrant, immigrant parents. What's your background or what your parents' background? Yeah, so my father is from Portugal and he immigrated to the States when he was six. So America really is all he's ever known and he, he's lucky in that sense. Um, but my mother, she's from Honduras and her story is much more interesting in my opinion. She, <laughs> she moved to Miami when she was 18 all alone. She had like maybe a hundred bucks in her bank account and lucky for her she she had um she knew people that lived in the states and she just kind of went through there but she didn't know a lick of english she learned english from watching tv and um you know in comparison to who she is now it's this insane juxtaposition of just really like you know growing up and being able to see that hard work being put into someone's life and, and, and trying to, Oh, here's my cat. <laughs> and, um, yeah, trying to make something not only for themselves, but for the family that, you know, she wanted to have. And though it was never, I can't lie to you and say it was this perfect life. There were some struggles. Um, there was always happiness and there was always this worth, this work ethic that, um, I kind of always had instilled in me because of them. Has their heritage kind of influenced you, musically speaking as well? Like, was there a particular sound in your home? Oh, uh, yes and no. I think it was this interesting uh, scenario where, you know, my mother, like I said, didn't know much English. So it felt like I was almost teaching her most of my childhood um, because I had the opportunity to go to, you know, an English speaking school. And that was the, my entire town was, is an all white town, which was so different from my life at home. Um, so I think <laughs> it's funny. The, the times that I could think of, I guess, in, in terms of being influential in my childhood growing up is, you know, the typical Spanish mother that plays, you know, you know, it's Sunday morning when you wake up and you hear like Spanish music playing in the kitchen. You're like, oh no, this is cleaning day. This is <laughs> like, I have to get up or she's going to come in here and yell at me. Um, so, you know. I, what would you typically hear then those moments like, when she was cleaning? Uh, I, I think of a song called Obses Obsessions. I, I don't remember the artist, but 
La Ventura? I, I think so, yeah. Uh, gosh, that well, song, it's... There's it, one, uh, don't yeah. that, there was one big song. <laughs> right. Uh, what, so, 15, 20 years ago, yeah. If that song is, you know, playing on a Sunday morning or, you know, it's so funny because for some reason I have negative uh, memories connected to the music and not, not in a sense that it's, you know, a traumatic sort of negativity, but it's like the waking up and cleaning. No one wants to do that. No one wants to do that. Or, um, you know, Spanish parties last all night. And when you're eight years old, you want to be in bed by like 11, 10. And so it's just like remembering moments at family get togethers and family parties of, uh, mom, I'm ready to leave. Like, I'm let, let's go. And she's like, oh, no, 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 no. Like 10 more minutes, 10 more minutes. That 10 minutes is two hours. So you better get comfortable on your aunt's couch because you know, you're not going anywhere for a while. Um, but now, now that I'm older, um, I do tend to listen to you know, some of the music that my mom played and it, it brings back a nostalgic feeling rather than, you know, a negative feeling. And outside of Spanish music, she was obsessed with Madonna. Oh my gosh. I, <laughs> I feel like a majority, I think, you know, she was, she too was, you know, enamored by American culture. So finding an artist like Madonna in the 80s when you're moving to Miami. Like, I can't imagine the world that she was like living in prior, you know, to having kids. Well, we all love Madonna. Oh, of course. Who, who are you obsessed with? Like, which three records would you pick that define who you are? Oh, so at the moment, I feel like this is an ever-changing question. Oh, ever, always. Always. <laughs> at the moment, I would start with Snowfall by Robin Guthrie of Cocteau Twins and, you know, legendary Harold Budd. They wrote the score for Mysterious Skin, which was a book adaptation written by Scott Heim. And it's, I mean, like anything Harold Budd and Robin do, it's very dreamy and imaginative. And I find myself living in that state 98% of the time. It feels very childlike. And again, going back, like this nostalgic feeling and music tends to do that. And that goes without saying. 
Um, so I, I think I would start there. I would start there. That's a very, I feel like that's strong. <laughs> I would do Party Girl by Michelle Gierovich and no explanation needed. It's all in the title. Um, I do, <laughs> I, don't, I don't need to explain that, but I will say I love how deep her voice is. It's very like, it's so strong. And so that's a song where you kind of feel like, I'm kind of, I'm kind of that bitch. You know what I mean? Like I feel, I feel good about myself. Let's, let's get it going. Doesn't matter what you create If you have no fun Pretty girl, put down your pen Come over here, I'll show you how it's done I can dance, I can drink In the dark, it's all a trick Last, I would do A New Kind of Love by Fru Fru. That, I, you kind of have to throw in like a fun, upbeat song. That's a song that feels like you're, you know, driving top down in the fast lane not worrying about a thing in life and just just going just living and and any excuse to dance especially that song is a great excuse to dance like i'm i'm here for it I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's impossible to answer, right? I mean, it's indefinite. I think music can be, you know, it follows us and it's like an upper, it's a downer, it's just there with us. Right. I find myself so often just creating new playlists all the time. And sometimes yeah. I don't even realize I'm in a certain state of mind or a certain mood until, you know, the playlist... I'm, I'm done curating it and I'm like, whoa, some, she's going through something and <laughs> we, we, we need to understand what's going on here because this playlist is not looking too good. Um, yeah. So it is, it is an ever changing, uh, you know, I sometimes force myself to have a mood switch, but just 
you know, you right. push yourself with certain music. You're like, hey, no, you're gonna be happy. Yeah, now. no, you're going. <laughs> you you're know, going like, to enjoy today. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> whether you like it or not, you're going to have yeah, a good day. Would, yeah, or just drown in your misery. But go, go deep. Go. Oh, deep. It's so good though. Like even on time <laughs> during yeah. times where I'm like the happiest I've ever been. I'm like, all right, let's play the saddest song I know because it makes me feel yeah. good. Terrible thing, but I, I, I love mean, it. I love it. I mean, it. Leonard, Leonard Cohen was a master of that. I mean, his his somberness is just sometimes so heartbreaking. Oh, I mean, right. Uh, she yeah. goes without saying. I um, When I was actually in Paris, because I'd only really took time to listen to his music. I, I never really read his poetry. Um, but I was in Paris. I stumbled upon, you know, the, the Shakespeare books store, the bookshop, and... Um, I got like three Leonard Cohen books and that I felt was a very, it was a significant part of my, my time in Paris, just getting lost in his words and, and how devastatingly heartbreaking in a very beautiful way that he can be. Um, that, that's, that's a very hard thing to do is to be sad, but you know, it still feel fresh and still feel beautiful. Um, and he, he's, yeah, he's a master at that. How how do you approach your own poetry? Like, is that like something that just overnight just happens in your brain, or you something you think about for a long time and then put it down on paper? Or I I found that my best poetry comes, or, or I find that my best poetry is when it comes to me when I'm searching for poetry. It's I, I find that, you know, the work feels, it, it, you can see there's a sense of like, I'm forcing it to happen. And so mm -hmm. these days I'm allowing myself to enjoy the stillness, um, truly just, yeah, just let it come to you. And, and it's easy to, you know, I write, I write books. And so it's easy to feel like this, this overwhelming pressure of, you know, I need to release something and, and I, I don't want people to forget what I do. And especially in a, in a world of social media where everything's fast paced and every, you know, everyone's moving at this exponential rate. Mm. It's easy to feel that pressure, but you know, like I said, these days, I, I just allow it to come to me. Uh, most of my poetry comes from, you know, experiencing life around me. And, and that obviously was kind of hard this past year because not much was going on. But, you know, you can find beauty. But you had a lot of silence. Yeah, you can. No, yeah, you exactly. You have a lot of silence with yourself and, and more time to do a lot of critical thinking <laughs> and mm -hmm. almost become, you know, your own therapist in a sense. And, and through that stillness, I was able to write as well, but I, I find, yeah, like I said, it is it's just, it, it comes to you. And when it does, um, you'll be happy that you weren't out looking for it. Um, right now I, I've taken a break in writing, which is funny because I feel like I'm in a very transformational stage in my life. Um, but Sometimes I, I feel like I like to reflect more than uh, document in the moment. I'll journal in mm -hmm. the moment, but when it comes to poetry, it's more of like a reflection of my life. Wow. How old were you when you first started writing? I was probably 17, 16 or 17. 
And it uh, happened accidentally. You know, in school, you're kind of forced mm, to learn. Scribbling. Yeah. <laughs> you're kind of forced to uh, learn about poetry. And I remember in literature class, we got to the Romantic era. And it, it was beginning to feel more like like fun to me rather than like an assignment that was due. It felt like I was genuinely so excited about something in my teenage life living, you know, in this town where I didn't really relate much to anyone. Um, I, I kind of knew that there was something a bit different about my sensibilities versus theirs. And no one was really into the arts where I was from. So finding mm. something that felt like me and like a place where I can, you know, place my woes, if you want to call them into poetry, that mm-hmm. there was this home that I found that I, um, that was, yeah, it was something special and, and I didn't give that up. It was hard to give it up. Well, that's good that you, that you didn't give up. <laughs> um, and I mean, obviously the arts are an escape and I can only speak for myself. The music has always been there naturally without thinking about it much for me but it's the perfect creative outlet from like or at least the biggest one for me and you need that so like when a friend don't play music for a while i get like you, claustrophobic yeah within myself. a thousand percent <laughs> release and i think that's the thing about poetry too is you can you can find that in almost any artistic medium you find that in music obviously especially um but in film and in paintings there's poetry's always there and and sometimes you have to look for it but it, it's always there uh do you have a poem that got you that got your attention and that's your favorite oh i over the past year there's a poem in particular that i cannot stop thinking about um And I'm going to butcher it. I'm going to butcher the title because it is in French. But it is un... <laughs> I'm, I'm not... As you can tell, there's a French dictionary behind me. I'm learning. <laughs> um, un saison en effet, which translates to a season in hell, which is an extended poem by um, French poet Arthur Rimbaud. Uh, Rimbaud. Rimbaud. See, look at you. You're already... I know nothing. I know nothing. Um, it's really the only piece of work he's published himself, which makes it so much more special. And, you know, he was somebody who really criticized, you know, quote unquote, bad poetry that felt very mm. safe and hollow and, you know, on the surface. So I've grown to admire his sense of, you know, writing with like true grit. Um, but there's these two lines in particular in this extended poem to prose that, Where he says, no more desires for me. It has taken my life and fee. That is over. Now I know how to salute beauty. And I think any artist can relate to living in this sense of longing and this sense of desire and how much, and it's, it's a wonderful state to live in, but it can really begin to deteriorate you, deteriorate you because, you know, you're, so focused on this longing of something that isn't there and you're neglecting what's around you and the beauty that's around you because yeah you're you're just you're wanting something that just isn't quite there and I find myself in that state a lot I, I long like it's nobody's business <laughs> and 
that was a book that I, I had actually read during quarantine um, that has stuck with me, you know, all these months later. And I think will stick with me for the rest of my life. Wow. I mean, that's the power of, of, of the arts. I mean, it can get us on a whole different level than, I mean, on, it, it can pick us up on the, on the emotional train. Oh, absolutely. And then you find yourself, well, for me in particular, I get to, I'm like, gosh, how, how does someone's brain work like this? How can my brain not, how did it not get there? Like, it's, it's insane <laughs> how someone can string together words in a oh, way no. you've never imagined to. And then you find yourself frustrated that you couldn't get there. But that's, I mean, the beautiful thing of literature is picking up on everyone's version of similar experiences. It's one of the topics or one of the themes that you are after usually about love and connection? Yeah, so I've written two books. And the first book was really uh, focused on love and more particularly heartbreak. Um, it's Aww. so easy to write about heartbreak. and <laughs> yeah. Especially when you're in it. You can talk, spend all day long talking about things. Oh, it, my gosh. Share with your friends. I felt <laughs> like I had lost a limb. I It was my first real heartbreak. And I was like, this is the end of the world. I do not know how I'm going to survive after this. Um, and a part of how great it is, was I was so, I was much younger. And now that I can reflect back on that, I'm like, gosh, if only you knew what you had coming, like <laughs> buckle up, <laughs> buckle up girl. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I'm typically mm -hmm. used to writing about love, romance and heartbreak, but um, with my recent book, I tried to shift that focus on not just this romantic love that you can have towards a significant other, but a love that you share platonically with the people around you or, you know, understanding your roots and growing up. That was something that I never talked about. Um, going back to, you know, the first question in regards to my cultural background, growing up in a, in a white area really held me back from sharing my cultural... I, I tried to push that away as much as possible to fit in mm. and found myself whitewashing myself and my interests to be more liked. And so, you know, with my last book, I really got in touch with how important my cultural background is in, in my family life. And, and even though it felt embarrassing at one point, it is really the only reason why I can be proud of myself today, that I've kind of built this um, world of my own based on, you know, my own research and, my, and, and everything that wasn't surrounding me at the time. And so I've, I've learned to shift the, yeah, I've learned to shift the focus on things that matter more to me than sharing romantic feelings with someone Mm. Um, though that is, that is important. But when I look back at many of the instances in my life and I, it always trails back to the people who were always there or the experiences that I shared on my own, um, that really was able to, you know, be this sort of guiding light for me moving forward. Yeah. I, I can, I, I totally hear you. I can totally relate to that. I mean, I was born and grew up in Germany, mm -hmm. but being Persian, I mean, that was never an issue, but 
it's it's interesting how you subconsciously, mm-hmm. you're not even as a child, you know, it's not, you don't really think about it that much, right. but how you actually, yeah, you just want to be part of it and you're trying to adapt. And I did now looking back also having more distance to that period. Mm-hmm. And also you, you grow, you also gain your confidence, you become who you are, right. you know, and now of course I'm way more interested in my, in my origin and my heritage and try to, yeah, it's part of my DNA and make that my stamp, you know, it's, you know, absolutely just like you, it's, it's, this is who, who, who I am. And it makes it way more interesting. Hence, I'm also always asking my guests about their heritage. It's like, for instance, I didn't know that when I first heard about Dua Lipa, I didn't know her Albanian background. Right. When I found that out, it made it even so much more interesting to oh, me. Oh, of I was like, course. Let's talk about that, yeah. right? Because uh, uh, I think also now there's a generational change happening in society where it becomes more like a badge of honor and, and you, you, you're proud to sh- show your colors, so to say. And... Um, and I think the more the merrier. Absolutely. So, yeah, you should definitely, you should definitely wave that flag. Oh, for <laughs> sure. Touch, you know? I think I would really, really regret not understanding more about my cultural background in the sense that I want to be able to pass that on to my children one day. And mm. I would regret, you know, neglecting that um, and just having my children not know anything because I didn't know anything. Um, I, I think it's, it's so important to pass it on and it totally makes somebody way more interesting when you get to know their cultural heritage. And I think that's something we've all as, uh, you know, children with cultural past, uh, we subconsciously do, we subconsciously push that away to fit a narrative and not in a way, you know, that you're getting teased for it. I was never teased mm. in a way, but, mm. um, yeah, trying to mold into something that you're not, uh, I, I wish I could go back and tell my younger self that I did not need to do that. I, I did not need to do yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. um, how how important is a cultural exchange? Oh gosh, I mean, incredibly important. A short answer, but mm. going into it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, through my travels across the world, I have been able to discover parts of myself that I hadn't tapped into before, and. Also reading writers who have experienced a completely opposite life than I have has shaped my way in seeing things. And though there's this difference between looking at something and like truly seeing something and understanding that with this sort of greatness. And once you differentiate the two, you become more, you feel more obliged to understand rather than just look at something, um, which is one of the greatest gifts I could have ever taught myself is, is to, you know, really focus and hone in on, on certain aspects of the world and, and of other writers and, and just of my life in general. Um, and one writer I could think of, for example, is Eve Babbitt's um, her father, Sol Babbitts, and he was heavily involved in classical, in the classical musical world in, in LA. And her mother was an artist and her 
godfather was Igor Stravinsky. Like, <laughs> insane mm. life. Have you read her biography? Yeah, her biography oh. came out couple, like a year ago, right? Two years ago. Oh, I yes. I have bit, all of yeah, her yeah. books. Yeah. <laughs> I do think yeah. she's wonderful. I got it too. And you reminded me I bought it as well when it came out. I read it. <laughs> you yet, have yeah. to read it. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I started reading it and then I oh, forgot gosh. about it. But definitely, I know. I know. Yeah. Like Hollywood, Hollywood history. The, yeah. Hollywood history, yeah. Reading her work through the lens of. Isn't that infam- infamous? Sorry to interrupt, but oh, like fine. the picture with her playing chess naked. With yes, Marcelle I was just about to bring yeah. that up. Iconic <laughs> yeah. photo. Um, yeah, I love that photo. Yeah, she. Uh, yeah, reading her work through the lens of somebody affected by nepotism and, like you said, posing nude with Marcel Duchamp, and this sort of mm. rock and roll lifestyle that she led in L.A. She, I felt, I always like to compare her to. She's like the L.A. Patty Smith. Patty Smith has mm. New York. Eve Babbitts has L.A. and these are i i could never imagine living that sort of life but in a in a weird way it has reading her work has i had found myself you know i i moved to la with this assumption that i was going to hate it and that this wasn't for me it's not my type of lifestyle and it was interesting and suddenly I run in Canyon every morning. At yeah, suddenly, like, <laughs> suddenly I'm driving down Beachwood Canyon and I'm like, I'm meant to live here one day. Uh, no. <laughs> I'm going to get my Schindler house and I'm going to look over the, yeah. uh, like, that's my brain right now. Uh, exactly. Yeah, so I find myself romanticizing yeah. this city that totally. I had never yeah. imagined to romanticize. And even speaking of, um, my book and, and with what you do at Chateau Marmont, um, mm. so much of my book has, you know, leads back to memories at the Chateau. And it feels like in a weird way, like I'm undeserving of these memories because these were scenarios that I, I read growing up and, and I thought would be so cool to experience. And now I'm experiencing these things and uh, lucky is an understatement, but it's also, you kind of, you know, the rose colored lens is taken off your face and you're like, you're seeing it for what it really is. Um, and it's not always as beautiful as you think it's going to be, but it's, it's there and it's a part of your life in some strange way or another. Absolutely. You shot a video at the Chateau, no? Like one of your uh, short, short movies. Yes. Um, like I said, the book has uh, a lot of references to the Chateau Marmont, and I wanted to make sure that we incorporated that in the short films. Um, I like my second love outside of everything that I do now is film, and I want to get better at it. I want to, I want to feel like it is something that I can, you know, speak about in a way that I'm proud of. And, and I am proud of these shorts that I've done and, and the work that was put into it. Um, and it was just kind of, you know, scratching at the surface, seeing what, what can be done. And, and, and I had a lot of, a lot of fun doing it. The couple that was in the video, they killed it. They were actually, they're married in real life and seeing I like I'm making this poor couple go through like this awful breakup scene. I'm like, I hope I did not do something to your marriage because that was not, um, you know, probably the lightest scenario to be in, but they, they killed it. Can you memorize some of the words? Oh, that was a poem called, uh, Attic Tragedy. And the poem is about, 
I, I can't memorize. I don't know it fully memorized, but I can tell you exactly what it's yeah. about. It's really about yeah. being in love with someone who you know that could never share those feelings back. And um, instead of being angry, I used to I used to get so angry and and hover above this resentment when things didn't go my way and in, in love. This was kind of, you know, accepting it and just knowing that you are a person who I respect and I, and I love and I admire. And I could only hope you think the same of me. Um, but this is kind of my ode to letting you go and allowing you to find that somewhere else that isn't with me. Um, and that could possibly never be with me. And that's perfectly fine because life goes on. Um, I think I, I actually have the book right here if you want me to. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, def I'm definitely going to play the, the, the recording, but please, let's start with your own words. Oh, goodness. Yeah, it's in here. I, it was originally titled, um, <laughs> this is, I try not to be too obvious with my work because I fear that the people that I'm dating will pick it up and read it and know exactly <laughs> it's about them. <laughs> So the poem was originally titled Apartment 4B, which was the apartment of the person I was writing about. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I'm going to... I was to... like, that's not the room number. Yeah, <laughs> like I, I might as well number. just give out your address at this point yeah. because uh, this, is, <laughs> this, is a bit, <laughs> this is a bit much. So I, I changed it to Attic Tragedy, which in Greek mythology is, you know, a form of a tragedy. <laughs> And that's the only way you can really put this story. You, you, on, on that note, you really have to, I don't know if you've seen it already, you have to watch Fedra, you know, the movie came out in the 60s, a Greek tragedy, but like playing in the 60s with, um, with a uh, uh, famous Greek actress and American English actor. I'll get back to me. Fantastic soundtrack as well. Oh my gosh. Fedra. P-H-A-E-D-R-A. -E All my favorite movies. Um, yeah, I will literally watch it. Tragedy, exactly <laughs> I will that. watch that yeah. tonight. So <laughs> the poem is Attic Tragedy and it goes like this. Hmm. This feeling is fleeting. Desire. What better way to feel something or nothing at all than to tell someone you love them when you don't mean it. Lust, both ferocious and uncompromising, yet more often than not, it's a rush we all willingly, blindly seem to chase. I've longed to trace my fingers across your delicate terrain, limbs entangled, heavy in this bed we've made. In the darkness, I can feel your heart beating on the corners of my shoulder blades, and I know that there's love in there, both pure and divine, so intense I could hear it pierce through the stillness in your studio apartment. It's just not for me. It's waiting to be held by someone else. couldn't put the apartment number in there because there's fully a picture of the apartment in it. Just going a little too hard here. <laughs> shout out to that yeah, person. Yeah, shout out. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. 
Well, um, going back to the music, um, obviously you mentioned that poetry is it's a very intimate thing and also shows vulnerability, which we just heard. Uh, is there a song that represents that feeling for you? The feeling of vulnerability? Um, mm. I, I think of an album, mm -hmm. which is titled by Fiona Apple, uh, Slow Like Honey. has this incredible ability to just be so honest and not give a damn about the repercussions. Like that is, that's talent. It is scary enough as it is to just put yourself out there. But when you are sharing your words in a way of like, look at what you've done and this is how I feel. Like my, this is genuinely how I feel. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. She does that flawlessly. And also in her album, um, When the Pawn, she has a song called Fast As You Can. And there is a line that I will never grow out of under, like, I'm still like this woman, goodness. Mm -hmm. um, she says, I may be soft in your palm, but I'll soon grow hungry for a fight and I will not let you win. My pretty mouth will frame the phrases that will disprove your faith in man. Fiona, like, there is a reason why she is the greatest. <laughs> she is, yeah. That entire album title, that was a very important album in my life growing up. Um, I feel like it shaped a lot of who I am and it never, there's no skips. There's not a single skip on that album. And that's, that's hard to come by is when you have, mm. when you have a record that every song just, it hits the spot. Um, yeah, I, I would say that. Amazing. I, love it. I find it so fascinating now that what I've got like 40 episodes, it's a year of these interviews to start to see connections between different guests and certain artists or music that they pick oh, really? and see the connections. And it's so interesting. And you know who else really raved about Fiona Apple? Who's that? Was Lou Doyon. Oh, wow. And, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Who's also 
Incredible. Madame yeah. Poetry. Of course. Yeah. And also raving. And I was like, hey, she I just, need to speak to Fiona. She, I know. She's your next guest. She just gets it. I'm actually, I have a yeah. question for you. Have you ever yes, had uh, guests mention the same artist or, or song or anything? Or has it always been different? Oh. oh. Oh and yeah, and that's what I mean. There's so many. Uh, I just I, I mean, was, I was yeah, just interviewed a couple this. of days ago, and uh, they asked me that question, and I was thinking about this. One thing I'm really, which I love, because I I love Bach and I love Glenn Gould, but uh, the Goldberg variations, St- uh, the design duo, Parisian design duo, Studio Ko that I interviewed. Mm-hmm. That was one of their songs. Marina Abramovich, one of her songs. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Tom Sachs, one of his songs, and then Miss Kitten, you know, uh, French techno DJ, Miss Kitten. To see like this, and also this recording, you know, yeah. we're talking about, you know, a very particular recording of the Goldberg uh, variations. And to see those this connection, it's like, it's so interesting yeah. how, how, from all these different worlds and touch points, how some music just resonates. It really connects. That, that is very yeah. interesting. I was, yeah, because your, your list of incredible people you've talked to it ranges in t- so many different worlds and so many different spheres i was like there's a part of me was just like there has to be like there's no way there hasn't been somebody that has said the same thing um but leonard cohen leonard cohen, leonard cohen comes up james brown a lot and not like in terms and in, 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 i'm not saying they come you know often these names don't mention often just because oh we like listen to it no there's a particular reason why. Right. And, and that's what, what makes it more interesting. Right. Why are they into this? Is because, for instance, James Brown, of course, is like the go-to upper for a lot of people uh, and, and inspirational. But Leonard Cohen, of course, is the opposite. Oh, but absolutely. It, it's like go-to. Yeah. Um, who else? Uh, Aphex Twin. Also super surprising. Yeah. How a lot of oh, people yeah. mention Aphex. Um, I actually refrained yeah. from bringing up the Apex Twins because I was like, that is a very obvious answer. <laughs> I like, it's so easy to bring them up, but I was like, don't do it. Don't do it. Like, <laughs> like. But I, it's so interesting to me because, I mean, you know, I'm 36 now, uh, five, but um, I remember growing up in the 90s and Apex Twin being a thing. And, uh, and you know, obviously, legend icon. Obviously, I tried right. to interview with of course, like a unicorn, as Lucas about called it. <laughs> you know, like, but you got to try. You gotta and, try. It doesn't um, hurt. But it's interesting yeah. how there's this resurrection of, of you know, kids in their late teens, early t- uh, tweens. How they're so into Apex yeah, Twins. even now. even it's with so uh, the Cocteau yeah. Twins as well. It's 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 yeah. music has become just like fashion. You just you see it like make its trends totally. again, and then all the kids are yeah. like, "Oh, I'm super cool and alternative." I'm super cool because I know Apex Twins. <laughs> I know Apex Twins. Like, if you're cool and you like '90s music, go for Ace of Base or Hathaway. Yeah, right. Me. You're like, <laughs> I'm not like, cool. <laughs> I'm not like any other girl. I know what the Cocteau Twins are saying. Yeah, I'm alternative. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no diss here. No, no, um, not at all. Because I was no, absolutely that teenager with whatever was popular yeah. at the time. Oh, of course, for sure. Yeah. Um, well, going slightly more intimate, um, we touched the theme of love. What's your go-to heartbreak song or falling in love song? I love this question because it is mm. loaded. <laughs> it's a loaded question, but yeah. I falling in love. You can't just put one song, one feeling to it. There, there, I, there are stages of falling in love. So I have three songs for you. I hope you don't mind. Ooh, on no. the stages. So we're going to go with the very obvious prom song, 
90s hit classic, Fade Into You by Mazzy Star. Mm. The lyrics make it, you know, beautiful. It is this love song, but something about a slide guitar in a song makes you feel much more dreamy. It, it just adds so much more to what's already going on. Hope Sandoval is just, God, she is an entity. I can't really explain what she is, but it just I'm makes sure sense. I'm sure you've seen the live performance in 94, right? Of her like, performing? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Some kind of night to your darkness Colors your eyes and what's not there So I would say that's like the beginning of falling in love. You know, you 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 want it, you want to fade into someone, all right? And then I would go with Surrender by Suicide. That's when you the the love is mutual. The walls start coming down. You you find yourself not trying to really impress this person as much, um, but understand them. Like it's not about you anymore. It's fully about them. When you take me, or when you make, I'll fall for you. Times are good Oh, no, no. About you, I surrender. I surrender to you. I surrender. then I would end it with You and Me by Penny and the Quarters, which is, mm. in, in a funny way, I feel like could also feel like a heartbreak song. Um, if you just put it in the right scenario, it can be, wow, we're madly in love and I can't imagine spending my life with anyone else. Or this hurts and I'm reflecting and this song is making it worse. <laughs> Um, it's such a good track. Yeah, that one's that one's really really special. I feel like those three songs, oh, 
yeah, that's that's love in a nutshell. I remember when that Penny uh, track was kind of re-released through that Ryan Gosling movie and it, nobody knew who they were because it was just a demo recording, yeah. I think, in the 60s. It's Blue Valentine. Uh, and I think, d didn't they play the song? I mean, I, I can't remember correctly. It's been so long since I've seen the film. W they were playing that song during a sad scene. I don't remember. Yeah. But most likely. Yeah, right. So it, it, it can embody heartbreak. Yeah, yeah. Could be. Yeah, it's both, really. It's like one of those songs. I mean, her voice is just. I mean, uh, well, uh, well. It's one of those, yeah. It's one. Actually, instead of, instead of um, putting a song, can you actually sing it for us? I feel like that would. Yeah. <laughs> I sometimes I, I try to get that out the my singers, you know, You're that like, I interview and try to get something. Sing me a little tune, yeah. Just give me a little tune, serenade me. Yeah. Well, and after the heartbreak, when you. Out and about in Los Angeles, and you're feeling super sexy. What's the sexiest song? This is a bit uncouth, but <laughs> Before the Beginning by Jean Fruchete, I believe is how you say his last name. Fruchete. Jean Fruchete. Yes. Um, as you yeah. know, you know where that you know where that song is coming from. That's in uh, Love by Gaspar Noé, but it's in that scene. The eight-minute scene. I think it's eight minutes. Maybe I've seen the film too much. Um, that's a very sexy song and unnecessarily sexy. Um, without, like, that's without a doubt. There's no question. I wouldn't choose any other song. That's a very sexy song. And, and for how long it is, it's like I'll I'll stay sexy for a good uh, how, <laughs> however long it is, and I'll replay it again. It's it's great. <laughs> The repeat button. Exactly. <laughs> no shame in that repeat To wrap up our little chat, um, if your life would be a movie, what song would play in the end credits? End credits, yeah. <laughs> that that this one was actually this one's fun because I feel like um, if I were to ever write a film, I would always start with the music because like, I, I I have this uh, playlist actually where. It's called Cinematic Parallels, and, and it's just music that I would put in a film if I wrote a film. And 
Is it public? It's public. It is public. And Uh-oh. I know it's a bit dangerous. <laughs> and I find myself creating scenarios based off of the music that is playing. So it's, it's easy to do that. Mm-hmm. But if I was going to choose an end credit song, it would be At Last I Am Free by Robert Wyatt. It has this sort of like epic destination feel in the sense that you've completed all your life's work and now you're reflecting on every memory whether that be mundane or monumental that has kind of led you to your final moments it's kind of like taking your last breath i'm finally free i love it finally I'm, finally free. i'm finally free but <laughs> let's i don't know how how much truth is in that statement Thank you very much. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, oh my gosh, it, it truly has. And I've enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, likewise. I hope you uh, enjoyed this little chat and I'm sure you're going to like it with the music in it. Oh, I'm super excited. That's the best part <laughs> about the podcast. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> no, it takes a whole different level. Yeah. You know? The moment you have the music with it, it's, it, just, you're, it brings the color. It brings you're on a different it. plane than we are. We're just all just trying to catch up to you. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Thank you. Of course, thank you I'll as well. You I'll see you in LA. I'll be here. Beautiful. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in this week. If you want to listen to the full playlist, visit ourweareonair.com or our Spotify channel. You can also find us on Instagram and on YouTube at ourweareonair. And a big thank you to my wonderful team at Studio Noi. I'm Armand Lafay and I'll speak to you soon.